So we're going to look at it right here in Exodus 20. Check this out. We're going to read through it all. So bear with me, but how many of you guys know the Ten Commandments? You guys heard of this? You guys maybe memorized it, all this, you grew up on it? Well, this is what it is right here. It says, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. It continues and said, you shall not bow down to, to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. He goes on and says, You shall not misuse the name of your Lord, the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses the name. He Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that, so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder. Everybody's like, I got that one. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Check this out. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, man. And maybe you're like, you're like, okay, well, the, the Ten Commandments, maybe you're asking this question. Are the Ten Commandments relevant today? Are the Ten Commandments relevant for today? Like, we're under this new covenant and this new uh, uh, covenant with Christ. So, so do we really have to pay attention to these? Do we really have to be uh, uh, hold by this law and, and trust this and abide by this? Do we do that? And, and you may be asking, did Jesus come and, and replace the law and update the law? Does, does the law need to be updated? Or, or, or does it actually, uh, do the Ten Commandments provide a timeless foundation principle that helps us know and choose the right and wrong actions of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to actually love God and how we're actually supposed to love each other. Is this what God is saying or is, is that something that we have to hold to today? Check this out. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. It says, do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I've not come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to, to fulfill them in, a, in such a different way. He, he actually taught about the Ten Commandments consistently throughout his, throughout his time here on earth. Jesus was preaching and talking about the Ten Commandments, and he actually was, was teaching their deeper spiritual application. When we look at the Ten Commandments, this is not something that I believe we need to just kick to the curb. Is it, is it, uh, are we bound by it today? No. But is it something that we need to uh, keep on our hearts and keep in our lives and look at something? Absolutely. Because this is not something where God created and to say, hey, you need to live by these laws and this is this and you have to do this. No, he's actually giving us an opportunity for closeness with him. He's saying there's actually something that's separating you and me. Here's how you can get close. And so we're looking at this and, and it, it's amazing what God did. Check out how Hebrews 8 8 through 10, it says, but God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It goes on and it says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to me, faithful to my covenant. They don't remain faithful to me. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with them. The people of Israel after this time declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I 
will be their God and they will be my people. See, this is not something that we are bound by. It's not something that we are, are held to and, and, and bound by. God actually says that we, we cannot uh, receive great, we cannot receive salvation through works or through anything else, but through grace, through faith, because of what Jesus did. And, and Jesus uh, taught about this quite often. He actually said, if you uh, want to enter into life, keep my commandments. And so in no means am I saying, hey, forget the law, forget all this. It's not relevant. No, not at all. It's something that we should actually, God actually writes it on our heart. And this is this moral law. And, and when Jesus is asked, like, what are those, those commandments? He shares five out of the ten. He says, uh, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Along uh, with uh, saying you should obey your parents and your mother and father. And, uh, and summing it all up with the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we know these are important. We know this is something that we should look at. We should uh, 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 live kind of our life around these guidelines. But I want to break down what this actually looks like, what it actually looks like to even live according to this law. Even though we're not tied to it, it's a great, uh, it's a great resource for us to look at and say, okay, I, need, I can do this better. How can I have a better relationship with Jesus? How can I be closer to God? And so today we're going to be breaking up uh, the Ten Commandments in two pieces, all right? And I believe that when we do this, that it's going to create this understanding of why God gave us the Ten Commandments, why he actually said, hey, do this, this, and this. Ten things that he said, hey, if you, want, if you do this, you'll be close to me in my heart. You have a close relationship with me. And, and so the two parts that we're going to break it into is the first four commandments. And this is all focused on our relationship with with God. It's our vertical relationship. The first four is our vertical relationship with God. That's between us and God. Nobody else. This is not re regarding anybody else but us and God. What does that relationship look like? What does that, um, what does God call us to do when he says, hey, this is all between me and you. This is all between me and God, your personal relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to look at those four. Uh, we're going to look at those four commandments real quick. Check this out. The first commandment, do not put any other gods before me. Do not worship any other idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, and we keep the Sabbath. This is what God is calling us to do. This is what he's saying, like, hey, if you want a close relationship with me, if you want to be in, in relation with me, do these four things. And I love this first one. Do not put any other gods before me. And, and this one actually sets the tone for the, for the other three. Is that it's actually saying do not put any gods before me. Because how many of you guys know what you put first, you love. The things you love the most, that's what you put first. And he's saying, okay, I want you to love me the most and put me first. Don't put me before anything else. So you can write this down in your notes if you're taking notes with us today. You can write this down. You need to love God. There's three things that I'm going to challenge you to do today to, to encourage your, your relationship with Christ, encourage your relationship with God. And the first thing you're going to have to do is love God. And I'm, I'm not saying about the same love that you love Doritos. I know some of us love our Doritos, man. But... You can't use the same, I love Doritos, like I love God. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's not the same. I love the Greek language. I don't know if you've ever done like a study of the Greek language, but the Greek language has 
thousands more words that um, help describe what they're talking about. It's a, very, it's a language that you can get pretty exact when you're meaning to say something. But I use the same language to say I love you to my wife as I do I love Doritos. I don't know. <laughs> like It's the same thing because it's the same word. And I love that, that uh, Greek kind of expands this, and it's amazing. But I love my, my wife more than Doritos, I promise. <laughs> She's sitting right here, so I had to... Anyways, <laughs> getting a little hot. Uh, no, uh, but we need to love God. And I think there's a difference, you right? There's a difference when, when, when we just say, I love something, and I'm, I'm just like all in for it. Check this out in Matthew 22. Jesus is actually saying this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let me tell you, if Jesus is saying this is the first and greatest commandment, we got to be listening to it. We need to love God with everything we've got. And what does it mean to love God with our heart, soul, and mind? Can I tell you, if you love God with your heart, all of your heart, that means your heart breaks when his heart breaks. That means the things that break our Heavenly Father's heart should break yours, should be heavy on your heart. And when God says, love me with all of your soul, that means we have a desperation to know who he is. I'm desperate to know the characteristics of God. I'm desperate to know the, the personality of Jesus. I'm desperate for closeness and longing for him. How many of you guys know or have experienced maybe with a relationship or spouse that distance makes the heart fonder? Like, when, when, when my wife goes away on a trip or something like that, like I, like, I want her back, like, immediately, you know? And for us, we need that longing for Jesus. We need that longing for Christ to long and want him and love him with all of our heart. And, and then we say, with our mind, what does that mean, to love God with all of our mind? Man, what you think about, does it glorify God? When you think about what you want to do in your life, what you dream about, are your dreams glorifying God? Are those things going to be something that you can say, I love God by my actions? I could even say that just saying love God isn't, isn't enough. I believe that we need to be in love with God. We need to be in love with God because there's a difference. There's a difference when you just say, I love God or I'm in love with God. I can prove it to you right here. Look at this. Check this out. I want you guys to try this. Uh, you guys might be going to a barbecue or whatnot for 4th of July. Try this. As you're leaving, you know, you had a great time, all that stuff. As you're leaving, go and say, all right, hey, guys, see you later. I love you. Everything's cool. They felt loved, all that stuff. Try this. Go and be like, as you're leaving, be like, okay, guys, hey, I'm in love with you. And then walk away. Totally different vibe, man. That's a deep intimate love for somebody try it make sure like see like there's something different about it man like if you walk out you're like i'm in love with you weird okay um, it's gonna be fun i walked out there after last service and somebody's like i love i'm in love with you pastor Nick. I'm like, but man there's a difference it's clear we need to be in love with god so let me ask you this do you love god or are you in love with god do you just love him because the things that he can give you, because he says that I will bless you and I will give you what you need? Or do you love him beyond your circumstances? Do you love him in the middle of your chaos? Do you love him at the valley? Do you love him when everything is going wrong in your life? Are you still saying, God, I pursue you and I want to see you? God, I can see your provision in my life even though it is broken. That's the difference between love and falling in love with Jesus. That's the difference between saying, okay, I love you, 
He says, love me with everything he, you have. And I love that he even says, do not worship any other idols because I am a jealous God. I love that. At first I was like, really, God? Why you got to be jealous? But it's amazing because this jealousy that God says it's not, this, it's not this worldly or earthly jealousy. It's not this selfishness, uh, uh, irrational thinking, all this pursuit of jealousy. It is this holy, righteous, pure jealousy. God's jealousy is God continually seeking to protect you. It's his, holy react, it's his holiness reacting to evil in a way that is morally right and precious. Can I tell you that it is praiseworthy zeal on his part to preserve something that is supremely precious to him. Can I tell you that you are supremely precious to our Heavenly Father? Like God went to crazy lengths to have you sit in these seats today, redeemed and saved through Christ. God sees you as preciously supreme. I hope you know that you are loved by God today. I hope you know that God gave everything for you today. I hope you know that you are preciously, or you are precious to him. Dictionary.com actually uh, defines jealousy as vigilance in maintaining or guarding something. Man, when God says, I am jealous for you, he says, I want to protect you. I want to hold you so that you don't have to step into something that's going to hurt your life, that's going to step in something that's going to pull you away from me because those things that you put before God are only causing a distance between you and God because the things that you put before God, are you're saying that is going to be something that I'm focusing over everything else. The things that you do in that way are going to hurt your relationship with God and God is saying, just turn to me. Just look at me. I have something so much better for you. I have that you want to worship those things, but those things will only fail and hurt you. That's why he says, worship me first. Look to me first, because I'm, I promise you this, your sports team will fail you. I promise you, you will never have that much money in your bank account all the time. I promise you, your kids will hurt your feelings. I promise you, you will go to work and feel like you are worthless. I promise you. And if we put those things before God, our foundation and our life will always be broken. Because if we start to put God first, who is our firm foundation, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, we can stand on a foundation that will not be shaken no matter how crazy our life is, no matter how crazy the depth of our valley is, we can trust in him. Amen. Write it down like this. What you put first in your life is Lord of your life. What you put first in your life is Lord of your life. This will be, this will dictate how happy you are and how fickle you are. Matthew 6, says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Can I tell you, in this context, he's talking about worrying and worrying about not having enough, worrying about not having this or food or what should I wear or what should I go and all this. Can I tell you that if you start to put God first, God will start giving you provision and where you need it. And so whenever you're worrying and you're saying, I don't know where to go, God's like, I got you. There's honey in the rock. Ooh, that's such a good song. Come on. 
Like my voice, I don't have like a, a super strong voice. Like it goes out like crazy. And so I have to like hold myself back from worshiping because if I just, I like to yell. I like to sing out loud. I like to praise God. And I'd be out there, honey, in the you know, going crazy. And I have to hold it back. But man, worship was fire. Anyways, um, we need to seek God. And it's this, this action word of saying, I need to seek after God. So, you know, if anybody in here has loved somebody or has, a, has a, 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 a spouse or married or whatnot, you know that love is not just a four-letter word. Love is a, is a verb. It's something that you have to be action-oriented when you love somebody. If you just go out and say, hey, I love you, and then you expect to have all the benefits of love, but you're not showing love, you're going to be flat on your face not doing nothing. Because love is an action you have to show your love. You have to seek God in that way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first. And along with the word love, that it has to be an action, the same thing is with respect. Respect is something that you actually have to do. You have to do something to gain somebody's respect, and you have to do something to show somebody you have, you have respect for them. And so not only do you need to love God in this moment, but you need to respect God. You need to respect God. And you're like, oh, I, I mean, I respect God. He's, he's God, you know. Malachi 1, 6 says this, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the almighty God. Let me tell you, I believe we live in a culture that tends to make our relationship with God too casual. I believe we make our relationship with Christ just too casual. Oh, yeah, I'll go to church, I, I think. You know, as long as my team's not playing. Yeah. You know, if, if, if my team's playing, then, like, maybe I'll catch it online. Or, or maybe I'll just go next week. It's fine. They're not playing next week. It's cool. Um, and we make our relationship just too casual with Christ. And we say, we'll do this, ah, but whatnot. Okay, I'll read my Bible. Maybe, you know, I, I'll get a verse. I got the daily verse. I'm good. But I believe God has called us to way more than that. When we say that we love God and we are in love with God, that, re that requires a respect for God. That requires this reverence for God, this fear of the Lord. And when we talk about fear of the Lord, we talk about this reverence and this awe and this respect that we have for God, that he is amazing and beautiful and, 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 and created in such a, a beautiful and this majesty. But let me tell you, to have fear of the Lord there was wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Can I tell you that it would be wise to fear the Lord? It would be wise to have this, this reverence and awe for God. But not only having this reverence and awe for God, but actually fearing the Lord a little bit. A lot of times we talk about this and like, oh, man, you, you don't like fear the Lord. Like he doesn't he doesn't want you to fear God or he wants you to just have this reverence and this awe for him. But no, no, no. Can I tell you, we need to fear God a little bit. He doesn't want us to tremble and shake in our boots. And he doesn't want he wants us to have this respect and holy fear for him because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega. And so for somebody not to fear that would be foolish. He is God. 
He created the universe. He created everything. You know how like you grew up and your mom said, I created you. I could take you out of this world, right? She got that from God. Like she knew her word. Like she, go, she went back and was like, oh, I'm going to use that, God. Like that's good. She got that from God. God, we have to remember that he is God. Like big G, he is God. He's the king of kings, lord of lords, the alpha and the omega. He created the universe. He created the cosmos. He created everything. But too often, we find ourselves with the lack of respect for who Jesus is and who God is. Can I tell you that there's a, there's a, a difference between a loss of words and a lack of words? Like, there's a, a real difference when there's a lack of words and a loss of words. And let me tell you this, that a loss of words is when you are awestricken. When you are awestricken by the respect, the beauty, and the reverence of God. That you know and understand that there aren't actual words that can, that can start to begin to encompass and explain the majesty, the joy, the peace, and the reverence, and love, and grace of Christ that Christ pours out on us. And even if you had the words, even if that we can create words that can start to, to put in context how amazing God is, um, we wouldn't be... The words that we would attempt to describe our Heavenly Father, you cannot even get them out because you would be so awestricken in your heart, soul, and mind, and you would be undoubtedly speechless. That's a loss for words. A lack of words is not knowing what to say because you have little understanding or experience of God. Let me ask you today, church, do you know God or do you know of God? There's a difference. There's a difference between when somebody asks me, Pastor Nick, tell me about God. Who is this? What kind of experience have you all? And, and I'm just, uh, I try my best to tell them exactly what God has done in my life and what he has saved me from. But I have a lack or a loss of words because I cannot even fathom the beauty and majesty that he has actually saved me from or brought me through or walked me with. And I don't know everything that he can do. But the opposite is this, that you just don't know. And I wonder today where you are. Do you know God? Do you know the personality of our Heavenly Father that knit you together in his womb, Do you in, in your mother's womb? Do you know God that says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I am ready to adopt you into my family? Do you know him? It's having this respect and, and reverence for God. But not only that. Can I tell you that it's also realizing and knowing that you're not God, that you're not God. I'm not God, so I don't get to make up my own de definition of what's right and what's wrong. I don't get to make up my own definition of what's good and what's evil. That's not my role in this place. My role is to serve God, love God passionately, and change the world. I am here to serve this amazing, majestic, beautiful Father that has saved me. And I'm here to do that, not to set the roles. It's this humility that we need to have in respect of who God is. It's respecting God and doing what God has called us to do, not out of obligation, but because we love him, because we are in love with him. We need to submit our life to him, and so we need to love God. We need to be in love with God. We need to respect God. And the third one right here is we need to pursue God. 
We need to pursue God. And this is, whenever I hear that word pursue, and I love that word because it's, a, it's an action word. It's like, I think about cops, you know, the, the show where they're like in pursuit of a, of a car and they're like, they're, they're running down the street, they're chasing them, and they're actively in pursuit of God. I want to ask you, are you actively in pursuit to know your heavenly father? Are you actively seeking out the characteristics of Jesus? Are you actively knowing the personality and life of God, let me ask you, what does your pursuit of God look like? What is your relationship rhythm look like? To have a great relationship with Jesus or with God, you need a rhythm of knowing him, a rhythm of prayer, worship, and rest, a rhythm to stop and say, okay, God, I, I need you. I need your word. I need to be worshiping God. I need to come into worship today and know that I'm going to expect to get a word from God. Because I can tell you how dare we enter into the presence of God and expect anything less than a miracle. How, how dare we enter into, into the presence of God and expect him not to move mountains, expect him not to change our perspective of the world or change our perspective of a situation that we're going through. How dare we enter in and say, God, I'm just here. We need to be in pursuit of Jesus, pursuit of what God has. Part of your pursuit is creating a rhythm of prayer, worship, and rest. And for me, that last one, that rest part is tough. Like, I like moving. I'm like a fast-paced kind of person. I love going. I love moving. Like, I'll like sit on the couch for like 20 minutes and be like, dude, I am a lazy bum. You know, like, I like to move. I like to go out and do stuff. And so this one's hard for me is, to, is for me to say, okay, I need to stop. I need to take a day. I need to, it's, it's the fourth commandment. We know that. That is to keep a Sabbath day. That's to keep 24 hours of rest. And you're like, Pastor Nick, how am I going to do that? I can't, I can't do everything I have now within seven days. How am I going to get everything done? How am I going to do what I'm, I'm supposed to do? How am I going to do what God has called me to do if I have to take 24 hours of rest and, and alignment with God? But can I tell you that you can do more with six days well-rested than you can seven days burnt out? You can do more in those six days well-rested because this is what happens. I know we go to work, it gets crazy. We have our families, you have your crazy kids. I know your crazy kids, I'm the youth pastor, okay? I know you got some crazy ones out there. But let me tell you, you go to work and you, you see that person that just makes you so mad. You go home and your, your kids are ungrateful or whatnot, your husband or wife does this, and you go home and get beat down seven days in, seven days out, seven days in, seven days out, and then you wonder why you lash out at your family. You wonder why your, your work life is just dysfunctional because you haven't stopped after that sixth day and said, okay, God, I need to realign with you. Because if we were to say, okay, God, I need to realign with you, and, and you're going to step back and say, God, I got this person at my work. I don't know what to do with them, and he's going to show you exactly what to do. He's going to align your heart with what his heart is. We need to take and keep that Sabbath. We need to take that serious and, and stop. And it's hard for me. It's hard for me because I have to trust that I can still get everything done, and I have to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. But this is the thing. Obedience requires faith. Obedience requires faith. 
Moses had to be obedient when God said, I'm using you to lead the Israelites out of captivity. To me, that's a tall order, man. Like, that's a wild thing to do because that was like three million people that he was leading out of captivity, not to mention he was telling Pharaoh that he was going to take all of his free labor and all this stuff. And so to go to Moses or go to Pharaoh and say, hey, I'm going to take all your people. Are you cool with it? He had to have some faith that God was going to get him through. And for us, we need to have faith that in every aspect of our life, when we're serving God, that we, when we are obedient, it takes faith. You have to step out in, in a certain aspect. When you learn to love God, when you learn to respect God, when you learn to, to pursue God, can I tell you the second half of these commandments kind of come easier? The second half of the commandments, because remember, this is a vertical relationship. It's our vertical between us and, and God. And so the next remaining six is our horizontal relationship with others. And can I tell you, People are kind of the worst sometimes. <laughs> like, people are difficult. People are, are hard to talk to or be around or work with because everybody has their own things going on. And everybody battles with certain areas. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is the, the, the remaining six Ten Commandments right here. It starts off with number five, and it says, Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or lie. You shall not covet. These are the ones. And maybe you're here and you're like, I got those. I'm good. Like, I, I, I got those. I, I, don't really, uh, I don't really steal that often. Just don't look at my taxes. Uh, I don't really give false testimony like, well, We'll skip that one. I don't, like, I don't really covet anything. I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of content with my life or whatnot. But we look at these other ones and you, you have, honor your father and mother. And you're like, I celebrated my dad on Father's Day. Amen. I, I, brought her, I brought my mom here on Mother's Day. I gave them a gift or whatnot. And you're like, the murder thing, I haven't killed nobody. I'm good. But let me ask you this. Maybe you have murdered somebody's reputation. Maybe you haven't murdered somebody, but you murdered their reputation. Or maybe you've murdered their perspective of God or somebody else. Maybe you have done that and you're like, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, I, I, pastor, I, I haven't cheated. I've been faithful, all this stuff. But anyone who looks lustfully at a man or a woman commits adultery in their heart. And so it's this, it's this sobering view of the law that comes forth and says, hey, I am a sinner. I am broken, I am beat down, and I am not worthy of what God has actually given me here. But this is what I love. This is what I love. And we look at this because of this. We have this vertical relationship, and then we have this horizontal relationship. And check this out in Matthew 22, 37. We looked at this earlier. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But check this out. He goes on and says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So these, we see the Ten Commandments all encompassed just in these verses right here. Just in these two verses, we see that there are, there, that the Ten Commandments, what God is saying, hey, love God passionately. Love God, respect God, and pursue God. But now we need to pursue what our horizontal relationship looks like. So what does that look like? I'm going to give you three points today. I'm just going to, okay, there they are. I'm going to rattle them off real quick and 
These are the three things that I promise. If you do these three things, you will have healthier and better relationships with people. I promise you. If you love others, respect others, and even obey others, I promise you, you will have better relationships with the people next to you, the people in your family, the people at your work, all these things. You will have better relationships with them. Why? Because God has called us to love others. He has told us in the Ten Commandments to respect others, and he has told us in the commandments to obey others. You're like, I'm a grown man. I don't need to obey nobody. Wrong. (laughs) Maybe today you have some marriage issues. Maybe you got some tension in your marriage. Can I tell you that it's most likely because you lack one of these? Maybe you have some issues at work or in your personal life. Can I tell you because it's probably that you lack one of these? Maybe you haven't loved someone properly. You haven't respected somebody the way that they felt that they needed to be respected. Or maybe you didn't obey somebody's authority that you should have obeyed somebody's authority. The way that we love God should be a direct reflection of how we love others. It should be a reflection of how we love others and the people around us. Check this out in 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, that actually drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And it goes on to say, for, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. These commandments are all about our vertical compared to our horizontal. Our vertical relationship with, with God is only going to help us have better relationships with the people around us. Can I tell you that we are all sinners? Like we have all failed. We have all broken these commandments. We have all come against somebody. We have all stolen something. We have all lied. We have all cheated. We have all done certain things. And I can tell you, if I, if I had everybody raise their hand and say, hey, how many of you guys have broken the Ten Commandments? And if, or if you haven't broken the Ten Commandments, and we had one person, I'd say, welcome Jesus, man, because you're the only one. Because we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have all broken these. And this is what the law kind of requires. In Romans 6, 23, this is how the law kind of looked at it as the wages of sin, that's death. And so when we live abiding by that law, the wages of our sin, the wages of our breaking those commandments, that's death. But we have an amazing Savior that, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we celebrate today that we are not held by the law today, but we are saved through grace and the mercy of Jesus? Man, thank God we are not held by that law because I am broken. I am beat down, and I am even a sinner as well. But we're going to take a quick journey through the scriptures of why we are saved, how God saved us through these scriptures, through Romans 7, 7. It says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. 
Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For if I w- for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. And so Paul's saying, yo, I needed the law. I needed um, the Ten Commandments. I needed this so that I would know that I need a Savior, that I was somebody that needed saving. Can I tell you today, you need saving. No matter where you come from or what you've done or what you haven't done, you need saving. We need a Savior. That's what Paul's saying. And it continues in Romans 8, 1 through 3. It says, therefore, check this out. If there's ever a therefore in your Bible, find out what it's there for. Um, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. Because the Lord, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who, gave, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are free. We are set free from that. But the issue, the issue is not the law. The issue is us. The issue is you, it's your heart, it's this sinful nature of why we do what we do. Can I tell you that you don't have to teach a baby to be bad. They're just, they're just bad sometimes. In the same way, we are sinful. We are broken. And God came to redeem us from that. I love what John 1:17 says. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth... That came through Jesus Christ. Church, we get to celebrate that today. Jesus embodied the perfect balance between grace and law. Check this out as we close Romans 7, 6. It says, but now by dying to once what, once what bow, sorry, rewind that. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released, released, from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way that was written code. We are not bound anymore. We are not bound by the covenant. We are not bound by the law. We are not bound by the sin that we, that we live through in our lives. We are not. And that is why Jesus makes this beautiful statement of victory in John 8, 36. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, my friends. You are free in the name of Jesus. You are free because what he did on that cross. You are free. And then you start to walk different when you're free. And when you're free, indeed, there's a difference of a, of a man who knows that he's free. You don't have that baggage of the chains holding you down to sin. You don't have the baggage of the things that you're going through. You don't have that because Christ set you free from that. So I don't know how you came in here. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've done in your life. But all I know is that doesn't matter because we have a Savior that come and has already saved you. The Word of God actually says that as you yet were still sinners. Christ died for you. He died for you. So the real question is, are you ready to go all in? Are you ready to give everything? Check this out. This is your last fill-in. Your freedom is often limited by the limitations that you put on Christ. Church, are you ready to go all in for Christ? Are you ready to pursue God with everything you have? Are you ready to love God passionately and love each other authentically? And are you ready to see God change the world through you? Are you ready for it? 
I believe a lot of us keep God at an arm's distance, at an arm's length, because we are, we are, caught, we are caught up by a what-if statement. I believe a lot of us will say, okay, God, I know you're calling me to do this. I know you're calling me to, to step into this, but, but what if I fail? But what if I can't do that? But what if I don't do this? Or what if I don't say the right thing? Or what if I mess up this? I believe Peter, right before he got out of the boat stepping onto water, I believe he had a what if moment. What if I drown? Church, what if you walk on water today? Church, what if God just grabs a hold of you and works a miracle in your life, a miracle in your marriage, a miracle in your family, a miracle in your finances? What if? Can we go all in today? Can we give everything for Christ? Because if you want total freedom, you have to give God total freedom in your life. Can we bow your heads and close your eyes today? God, you are so good, Lord. Today, I want to challenge you to give God everything. 